just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Speaking of Influence podcast with virtual business speaker, presentation skills and influence coach, John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. The Speaking of Influence podcast is uploaded and distributed using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes it really easy to get your podcast started and out to a wide audience with lots of tips and useful tools to help you on your way. If you're interested, check the link in the show notes and start your podcast today. Welcome back to the show, or if it's your first time, then it's great to have you with us. And this is going to be a really exciting episode because I'm going to talk to someone who is a professional speaker, a corporate trainer, and an inspirational international speaker and hypnotherapist and a podcast host herself. And we've got some really interesting stuff to talk about on the show. I'm really pleased to introduce you, Lillian Abogo. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, John. Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to have you. Uh, and when we got to have a pre-recording chat, it was really yeah. interesting to speak to you. And I, and I knew that it was going to be a lot of fun. And we've just been having a little chat before we started recording as well. And some stuff was coming up there and thinking, oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is the kind of stuff that I like to have on a podcast. But give us a bit more of a picture about what it is that you do and, and your kind of background. So let's start with my background. Uh, my background is I'm an NLP practitioner. I'm a coach. I've worked with women in various disguises. That's my first background. And that's what I came to. And I came into NLP because at the time I discovered NLP, I was running an event company part-time with a, a very good friend of mine. And one of my biggest challenges was that I was afraid to speak in public, like really deadly afraid of speaking in public. And we had an event where this coach, female coach was up there. She was a coach, she was an NLP practitioner, and she was working on fears and talking about how you can bust through your fears. And she, she did a demonstration with a member of the audience that sat there on Oh, okay, this, this I need to know more of. And then I decided from that day, I was committed to actually working on the sphere of speaking public because the way I described it, it, I would rather eat broken glass covered in acid, covered in fire ants rather than speaking public. But more and more, I was finding that I had to do it and feeling like I was going to die each time. So, mm. and then I just, then NLP, started using NLP, went to Toastmasters, like, okay, so this is, yes. And then I became, then I said, okay, if this can work on me, then I can, it can work in other people. And I decided to learn that. Um, then I became, I started practicing as a coach as well. And I'd always wanted to work with women simply because I start with what I know. And in terms of 
I understand some of the challenges and some of the clients that will come to me had different challenges, but I understood the, the symptomatic place where all the root cause of those symptoms. Mm. And so was able to work with them. And I started doing work along line with using uh, Jungian psychology in terms of the archetypes and how we show up as women. And this became an, an era of work that I did. And in that time, I'd gone through many transitions and, you know, along that road, I started a podcast accidentally while I was still working on my fear of speaking in public. Uh-huh. And that that particular show was called Waking Passion Show. And as the name said, I was talking to people who were living from their passions, who were who had awoken this passion in themselves and were using it to change the world one person at a time. And it was funny because it was an it was never meant to be a public show. It was just for me to get comfortable interviewing friends, get comfortable hearing my own voice back. And then it all went, it, it all went a little skew with because I got an email from somebody going, hi, we've just read, um, we've just listened to your podcast and we have a client who will love for you to interview him. I'm like, okay, so you guys don't know that I don't know what I'm doing. So clearly I'm not going to be the one to inform you that I don't know what I'm doing. So We'll just pretend that everybody does what they're doing and let's see what happens. Yeah. Lo and behold, they came back and said, yep, we'll like for you to interview him. I go, uh, send me a copy of the book, we'll say. They sent me a copy thinking yeah, they were going to say, go away, leave us alone. I was going to say, see, it wasn't meant to be. Nope, they sent me the book, so I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. My, my podcast is not, not, not quite the same story, but I mean, it wasn't intended that it was going to become a big thing that was something that I would keep doing on and on. Like, I, it's not something that I really figured into how I was going to market myself or what I wanted to do with it. It was really just a Toastmasters project. I said, oh, you know, one of your options is you could do a podcast. I, okay, I've been thinking about it. So and like, I had no idea what I was doing. So it's like, okay, we did yeah. it. I recorded it with one of my friends from Toastmasters. It was about two hours long. I think I probably went on and on and on. But, uh, but And yet it's quite a well-downloaded episode. But um, then it's just sort of, like, well, maybe I'll do another one. Maybe I can keep this going. So I think, well, next month I'll do another one. And then mm. by March, it got up to weekly. And then I think by April, it got up to two episodes a week. And like, okay, this is, this is becoming thing and now it is just it's it, it, yeah it, it, it takes a life on its own so my been this was when i say i started a podcast this was way back in 2008 oh yeah so <laughs> early days of podcasting yeah i did I, start a podcast back then but i didn't keep going i think i did maybe three or four episodes and then kind of quit i, I did i have i had pod fade i might have been one of the first people to ever have that <laughs> well um you know what i have to i have to say i was very I, I used Blog Talk back in the day. I don't know if any if you remember Blog Talk. And just to show you how old it was, it was when Blog Talk, Blog Talk was still free. <laughs> uh, and so I, I I did I did this show on Blog Talk, and it taught me a lot because I ran it. Ended up running this show for three and a half years, right. live. Did, did I also add the fact that it was live? It was live interviews. Because I was like, yeah, why not just really make your life complicated? And so we used to do live interviews, um, 8 p.m. on a Wednesday. And the one thing I am proud of for that show, apart from the incredible people that came on the show, I interviewed some people that just took my breath away. But it was the fact that when I look back from something that was an accidental creation, I'd interviewed almost one person from... Seven, six of the inhabited continents across the world. 
That's pretty cool. That to me was really awesome. And I was really amazed about just the quality of people. And then I gave it a break and then I started the new podcast, which I have now, which is called Shine Out Loud Show. So you asked me, what do I do? So in a nutshell, I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I am a speaker. I work with incredible women to remind them about their power, to help them, give them the tools to tap into their internal power so that they can have the life that they want. Great. And that's, uh, for me, that's great. And that's been a theme throughout my show, I think, since I first started, really. You know, uh, um, Aida, my friend who I recorded my very first episode with, um, you know, and there's a big area for her. And I've been doing what I can to support um, her in that area as well and, and getting people on who are very much in alignment with that. Dana mm-hmm. Ferrant, who's fantastic. Joanna Martin, who I mentioned to you, and a few others besides. And uh, so it's, it's a wonderful area, and it's great to see uh, so many more women stepping up. In fact, so many of the guests who I'm lining up for the show um, are, are women who are stepping up in one way or another, either in leadership. Uh, at the moment, a lot of her coming through in the comedy world, which is really fantastic and a lot mm-hmm. of fun to speak to them. And, and you know, just seeing a lot more going on there that is like no we are we are shifting this we're changing the the structures we're challenging that and uh, ultimately perhaps ripping down the old structures and saying we need something where we all start on the same level here yeah equity is a good thing to have and you know we are at a point where the world cannot continue the way it's gone on for so long and the fact is you know just looking at where we are right now in this COVID, that COVID dimension and you look at the countries that are, who have taken charge of it and are protecting their people a lot better, you will find female leaders at the helm. So Certainly where you see inspirational leadership at the moment, if you look at the people who've handled all these major crises the best, it has been the female leaders, the empowered female leaders um, and the ones who have um, a newer style of leadership, a, a, a different understanding of power to the old sort of male paradigms that mm. uh, that we've had before in the past, that there are different ways of doing it. The bluster, the oh, aggression, yeah. the power struggles, that's all something that has to be pushed away to create a, a system that's going to work for everybody, not just for the people who are at the top. And, exactly. uh, and we're seeing it happen. I mean, uh, this is in my chat with Joe Martin as well, but uh, we don't know really which way things are going to go yet, whether that's going to come through or whether it's all going to hmm. crumble. But uh, one way or the other, things are going to change. So. Yeah. We'll and so that. so the world is changing. And I'm like you said, you kind of have to kind of stand back and, and watch. And so yes. where do I want to be in, in this flow? Do I want to be part of the change and supporting others to step into who they are or do I not you know so for me it's become my work is really about supporting people to become the best version of themselves supporting women incredible women to actually step into the ring of their own life and say you know what I can't I can't hide from myself anymore so my work is really around that so I I love that you've gone from someone who was petrified of public speaking to someone who is out there doing it because that really speaks to something important that which was that your reason for doing it was much 
was bigger than your reason for not doing it. And, and I think that's really important for, for anyone with any kind of goal or anyone who wants to make something happen. That like if your reason for doing it isn't bigger than your, uh, the, to work against your reasons for not doing it, then you're going to struggle and you're going to maybe find that you don't get anywhere. But turning up to that level, uh, was that there that naturally for you? Or did you build that up? Did you just start to realize how important this was for you? Well, for me, when I made the decision to deal with the fear and have the coach in myself and go through that process, and I was like, I want to be able to help someone feel the way I felt. Because the moment I got it, the moment I, 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 I got someone to support me and go, okay, this is the fear that you have. This is what you can have instead. This is, and working with me through it, where it's like, you're not an idiot to feel this way. You're, one, you're not alone. You're not an idiot other people feel this way and just empowering me to feel like you know what it's okay and I can do this and so I went through Toastmasters as well um and I remember the first time I had to get up and do a speech in Toastmasters and I was like I think I'm gonna have to swallow my tongue here and then I remember I won um one of the impromptu speeches uh, so I, I, I want, you know, when you do the round robin where you're all on stage and you have to take a, a, a topic. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't even a table topic. It was, it was a table topic, but this had gone a little awry. So what they decided was one person will come up with a, a story and start, and then the next person will have to tweak it slightly. And, you know, you, you kind of take it on and on and on. And I remember I was the sixth person in line. And I remember this clearly because the person before me started talking about hunting. And I'm thinking, how am I supposed to join this story? Because I know zero about hunting. I think what I know about hunting, really, you can, I learned from um, the hound and the fox. So it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know much on that topic myself either. Although I, I remember being in the US one time uh, in uh, in the south of Washington State and uh, and staying with a family where the the guy was a, a hunter and, and wanted me to go hunting with him. And I was like, uh, no, I, I really don't think that's for me. <laughs> but, but thanks. I have a general uh, rule. That's a no. So when it came, they're like, okay, here, take the story. So I looked at them, looked at the judges, and I go, so what has happened now? All the humans are in the pub. The foxes and the dogs have joined up. They've now figured out how to get opposable thumbs. They've stolen all the weapons, and they're chasing down the hunters. And I, I think... <laughs> That's where that's where I'd go as well. I, I, I'm not not a fan of hunting. Uh, don't really, don't really, don't like the whole thing. But um, let me ask you that. I mean, that, that's that's all one thing. Toastmasters is one thing, and that's a way to step up and get your experience yeah. and start getting over the initial fears. What about when you went to first do a professional presentation for the first time? Tell me a bit about that. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember far back. Uh, so my first speech that I had to do. Uh, a friend was having an event they needed a speaker and they're like would you speak and I'm like no then she goes again no I don't think you understand it wasn't really a request I was saying it as a request to make it sound nice but you are speaking and I had to figure out what I was going to speak on and I think standing in front of the room the first time and having to swallow and go <sighs> and then I found the words I found my words and the one thing I do remember was for me, once I can get out from my own space in terms of my headspace of it's about me, and then I figure out 
it's about them in the room. Because the moment I stopped worrying about me and started worrying about them, as in the women that were in the room, can I tell them something that will shift them? Can I tell them something that would, even for a moment, make them look at themselves a little different? Then it kind of changed my whole attitude. I was able to relax and I was able to actually do this talk. Don't remember what I spoke on, but I remember, I just remember kind of feeling like I stepped out of my own way Mm. and let it be about what was important, which was the message. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the biggest lessons in public speaking is is getting to the point where you realise it's not about you, it's about your audience. And if you're not doing it for them, you probably shouldn't be on the stage uh, because you're just, you're just kind of uh, massaging your ego otherwise. I agree to some extent, but sometimes the, the fact is, and you know this, the moment we are outside of our comfort zone and then we start to worry, is, that, is my shirt on straight? Uh, is my zipper up? And the moment you start to connect in with those things, the moment you start and go, oh my God, there's somebody in the audience looking at me strange. And oh my God, there's somebody saying this. And you you then get yourself into that space of you are just in your head. Yeah. But the moment you kind of go, can I share something that somebody else in this room, even if it's one person can take away, that will be good for them. Yeah, I, I just think it takes it takes a while to get to that, and you do have to get over those initial fears, the initial doubts, the uncertainties, and maybe even to some degree, like saying having uh, having a, a level of preparation of the things you need to do before you present that you oh, don't yeah. need to have all those things running through your head. How, how do you pre- prepare for for a speech? So first and foremost, I have to get my speech together, and I I put it together and. I'm not one that would actually, I don't remember my speech verbatim. And I sometimes, I will carry cue cards when I first started. Now I do slides and my slides help me with my pointers on where I am. And to be honest, I think the first few times I I stumbled and I stumbled over my words, but it was the preparation, but also was what I did before I got up, before I started speaking. And I remember because I had a coach and a friend who before she would start, she, she would have to go up to speak. She was a very tiny woman. She would go outside and do this whole thing where she did things with her body to pump her up. So I remember I used to kind of copy her technique to no. just feel a little pumped up and get myself a little excited and just kind of change the, oh my God, I feel sick. Oh my God, into, okay, well, let's get really excited. We're going to go up. We're going to talk. We're going to do stuff. You know what you're talking about. You're going to be fine. You're going to be great. And I used to actually have to talk to myself. I have to talk to myself and say, you're going to be great. Mm. Then also, here's the thing. I think this is people who want to start speaking, who want to get up in front of stage thinking, oh, my God, these people on stage are so put together. They're not afraid and blah, 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 blah. Let's actually get very, very real here. Just because you are confident to do what you do doesn't mean that you don't have a moment where you go or you get into a room that feels bigger than you've ever been in and you aren't just struck with for a moment. Like, what the hell am I doing in this room and how am I going to do it? If you don't get that, then really you shouldn't be speaking at all because that means you're not passionate about what you do. Even great actors who are who are egots in their in their industry, yeah. they you know they, I remember there was an actor that basically used to throw up before he had to go on stage to perform. Now I'm not saying that's that's what I want you <laughs> no, to do. You don't time. necessarily need to do that, but uh, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, you know, there, there are 
performance spaces where I feel safe and comfortable and don't really get the butterflies so much now. I feel that they are my practice spaces. But when I'm actually getting up to do a professional presentation, when I'm presenting them, I, where I'm either being paid or I'm there for professional reasons, um, I feel a, a much bigger uh, a much bigger level of stress or competition as well. Mm. I, do, I do competition speaking too. And, and there's definitely a bigger level of stress there. You have to mm-hmm. calm yourself down and do a bit of your ritualization. And uh, I liked what you're saying about that copying the sort of movements you saw someone else mm-hmm. doing because it was making me think about uh, if you've ever come across Amy Cuddy who who love teaches, Amy Cuddy she's amazing, right yep. um, so she teaches the power poses the the superhero poses I've talked about a few times in in previous episodes as well but you know taking a superhero posture like hand uh, hands on hips and mm-hmm. leg wide leg stance and doing that and putting yourself into that physical posture of being powerful before you get up and present i mean Mm -hmm. nothing to even stop you doing it on the stage if you if it can fit in with your presentation if you can get get away with it why not (laughs) yeah Uh, absolutely but but, you know your physiology plays a huge part in in how you feel for sure and but also like like you said it's the self-talk as well the things that you end up saying to yourself and that if that's not supportive or empowering you're going to end up talking yourself into a state I oh, yeah. see it a lot of the time in public speaking practice. Don't talk to the gremlins before you're an event. You need to talk to your power team. Don't talk to the gremlins because the gremlins have nothing good to say to you. What 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 have been some of your favorite speaking experiences? Oh, so some of my favorite speaking experiences. I think my favorite one was in Curacao. Yeah, I was in Curacao and I was talking about confidence and how as women, you know, we need sometimes you need different things to help you feel confident. So I, I talked about how Batman has his has his cape, you know, and with his cape, he he flies, he does all these things and he's, he's standing there going, mm-hmm, I, I, you know, I'm Superman. But Batman has his utility belt and Batman has this belt that has everything. The only thing it doesn't have is a kitchen sink. It has throwing stars. It has his boomerang. It has a grappling hook. It has everything. Mm -hmm. So I talked about, you know, these kind of ideas and you have sports stars who have lucky socks, lucky pants, who have these and these things help them to actually feel empowered. And I said, so what do we have as women? And I go, well, you can get a particular jewelry, a particular suit. And I was telling them of my experience at the time where uh, I used to, I will buy particular um, underwear. So I had different shades of red underwear. And if I have particular meetings to go to, I will wear them under whatever outfit I'm wearing. So no matter where I was, I was feeling like, yeah, I, I got my Superman cape on. I got my, my equivalent of Batman's utility belt. I got this. This is fine. Nothing can rattle me. You do the preparation, of course, but this was what I used to tell myself. And so I remember this conversation and I had this conversation with a group full of women in Curacao. And I think it was a few months later, I was speaking to the organizer of, you know, from the event. And she goes, you know what, after, after your talk, the Monday after the women all went out who were there, there'd been a rush on buying red underwear and and it was funny because i had a conversation with one of the women that were that was at the event this year we reconnected on facebook she goes yeah i still have my red underwear i still remember it went out got my red underwear i was like 
<laughs> you know, I've heard, I have heard that advice before. I don't know. It may have been from you. Maybe, I, maybe we crossed paths in the past, but yeah. I, I have heard that advice before. And I didn't, I thought it's really more for women than for guys, but I did go out and buy myself a pair of Superman underwear after that. But uh, <laughs> I don't, I only have the, I only have the one pair of those. And, and uh, it's not, I don't really have the same association with it. It just kind of feels like a kid <laughs> rather, than a, <laughs> rather than powerful presenter. But, uh, but great. I mean, so good, good speaking experience is a memorable stuff as well yeah. and these are the kind of things that people will remember for a long time and and that you have your resources and you're sharing those resources well and saying hey this could be a resource for you too yeah. and things that are going to help you feel more empowered and and positive on on a stage for your performances or for stepping up in some way whether it's in an interview whether it's in a just in a meeting or a presentation or just on the bus in the shops whatever it is but just feeling yeah. that you can do the things that you want to do I, I want to get to a thing. One, one thing that's always important when presenting is storytelling. And you know, we had a little chat before we started recording about some of the things with that. And we def I definitely want to get into that. Um, I just want to ask you, first of all, um, what kind of stories you most like to use in your presentations? So I use quite a range. So I use, I will go from movies all the way to mythology. Um, I because I also delivered um, corporate training and one of my areas in corporate training is leadership. I have used the movie 300 to elaborate good leadership, mm-hmm. poor communication skills, uh, being able to trust your team and actually be able to, to show where a good leader can actually inspire the best out of your team using just the 300 movie. I use a lot of um, animation and Marvel stuff as well with um Captain America, there are dynamics between Captain America, um, Iron Man, and even, um, um, what's his name now, Thor and the Hulk. And I use that to demonstrate different levels of leadership. I use mythology as well very solidly in my work because that also has a lot of, when we go down the road of Jungian psychology of archetypes as well, but everything is an archetype. So I use a range of stories. And sometimes I'll use stories just from watching my nephews play as well and how they play with each other. And my, I have a big nephew now when he was younger, the different things that he will do and, you know, these kind of things. So there's a lot of places that I pull stories from. For anyone who's watching or listening who may not be familiar with what archetypes are, can you give a a bit of an explanation? So the official definition is the unconscious collective that we all respond to as human beings. There are things that we do that we play out that is similar in each of us. And people are like the unconscious who now? So when we start talking about it, let's make it really simple. If you look at a story, if you look at movies, there are basic characters that show up regardless of the movie there's the hero the damsel there is the wise woman or the wise man there's a king there's the villain there is the uh, femme fatale there's all of those characters whether it's in books whether it's you know so let's let's give a classic one so look at star wars you have luke where i am your father the villain but it was not quite the villain because he was being controlled by someone. So you could call him the puppet. Mm-hmm. Then you can say you had the young Skywalker who was the, he was a Padawan at, at first and had to become and step up into becoming this hero. You had um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the wise one. Then you have, you know, you have Princess Leia. You had Han Solo, who was really the anti-hero, like 
I want no part of this. Pay me, let me go. But then he found a cause bigger than himself. So it plays out with all of that. And so that's, that's our world is made up of those stories, whether we recognize them sometimes or not. And all of those characters sometimes reside within us and is how we use them and how we show up in the world because we we will sometimes show up as a character of ourselves playing a character of ourselves right i mean we all understand when you hear the sort of arc, what the archetypal figure is we all understand the associations of that yeah. like when you hear the um for example the guide you know that you know you can identify those characters in a film or a story like in star mm-hmm. wars obi-wan initially and then yoda becomes mm-hmm. the, the main guide in that story and when you think about you know certainly the the damsel in distress although it's not always that case she does change identity princess leia at mm-hmm. various points is, is that character but she also becomes a bit more of an empowered figure as uh, as it progresses as well but yeah yes. but we identify what those traits are that relate mm-hmm. to that you know, so if so if uh, if you say to someone that uh, i want you to put yourself in in regal energy like as a king or a queen um, you understand what that is and you yeah. make your associations to, well, what is that energy? What are the attributes? What are the traits that I would associate yes. with that and, and put yourself there that they are fairly universal. And that's, that's kind yes. of it right there. There's like, we yes, all it's, it's universal. We all know what they are. We all have some version of that. We all understand if we talk about the father figure we know there's a grand figure or we talk about the god figure we all have that version which is why if we look at every every civilization every every different culture has a mythology story of the great creator of this and that created out of nothing there is that story that is universal to all of us it may have differences to reflect our culture but it's all universal and and when you think about the mythologies and the stories that have survived through the ages, uh, they are these kinds of stories and the hero's journeys. You know, if you've ever mm-hmm. read um, the hero's journey with Joseph Campbell, that really explains the structure of story from those mythologies. You get what makes those stories so memorable and identifiable. Uh, but also, if you translate that into modern day stories and narratives, you you really you can see it in in, in good films. You know, there are films oh, yeah. who I think kind of abandon it or don't quite hit the full the full formula for the story's journey uh, for the hero's journey and end up falling short there. But when you see it and when you see it done well, that tends to be for us a very mm-hmm. satisfying experience. Oh yeah, which is why. Parents may loathe the song, but which is why uh, Frozen was such an amazing hit because it took the hero's journey and placed it in the lap of this princess having to discover, rediscover herself and find herself. And with Frozen 2, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody if you haven't seen it, so I'll be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about Frozen in those terms, but I, I did actually quite enjoy the first one. I, I haven't seen the the second one yet, but uh, definitely a, definitely a good film with a with a great message. Mm-hmm. One thing that you mentioned to me that I do want to touch on is that when we talked about mythology. You also take a bit of a unique look at mythology too, which I wanted to get into with you. Sure. Uh, so. You know, the thing is, when we talk about mythology and we start talking about the pantheons and we talk about the gods and goddesses and instantly we're talking uh, Zeus, we're talking um, Artemis, we're talking um, um, Aphrodite, 
it's very recognizable figures. We're talking Aries, we're talking, we're talking about those figures that are re recognizable from the Greek pantheon. And sometimes we we'll go over to the Nordic because we have in Marvel Thor and, mm -hmm. and all of that with the Bifrost and, and all of that. So it's very recognizable, but it's very one dimensional in terms of, you know, it doesn't represent me in terms of the story. And I was like, it can't be just that story. And then I discovered the Kemetic, which is the Egyptian um, mythology. And it's the same, if you lay it side by side, it's the same stories, but it, with different characters. So you have Ra, you have Hatha, and when you're talking about the goddess of love, you talk about Hatha instead of talking about Aphrodite or Venus. Um, and then you're talking about, you know, Shekmet, you're talking about, um, you know, so you're talking about those kind of gods and you talk about taught you, you and, and all that. Again, it's about representation. And also because my background is my, my, I'm, I am Nigerian by parentage and by, by, um, so my parentage, my lineage is Nigerian, even though I'm British born, there's always wanting to find out more. And so I discovered the Yoruba, which is one of the many tribes in Nigeria, the Yoruba pantheon. So they, and their mythology has been well-preserved, which is really amazing. And so you have the exact same dialogue in terms of how it flows from the father god mother god so whether you're looking at the yamiya story or you're looking at um the mary story or you know when i go what's the difference between shango and thor because shango is a god um thunder and battle like thor i go what's the difference i go well thor has great pr <laughs> <laughs> now marvel did a pretty good job with that <laughs> exactly Shung, people are like Shung, oh no that's evil that's witchcraft but thor yeah we can we can get down with some thor and his six packs it's like but it's the same it's the same story and so it was about being able to use different stories to actually illustrate a point that so because some of my clients you want to be able to give them something that they can recognize but also for me as a black woman it was important to have other stories as well i also look at the polynesian story because their culture is very rich and diverse in terms of the mythology and their goddesses and in, in their story that i really really relate to so i used all the different the different stories to actually create this richer tapestry so it's not just a one dimensional we'll just use one story there's more than one story yeah, and that is a, a richer, more diverse tapestry that I think we can all benefit from, to be honest. Um, yeah, and we tend to, I think we tend to sort of use, in, in Europe, we tend to hear mostly just the European uh, mythologies more than anything else. Um, but mm. there's so much, there's so much more out there. And oh, yeah. I, I think it's quite exciting. I, I think perhaps some of the uh, more popularized ones outside of Europe have been sort of Chinese and maybe even some to some degree Japanese mm -hmm. as well. But uh, we haven't heard so much from other countries, but at least we're starting to do that now. But yeah. there are all these global stories that can come together. Oh yeah, uh, there's a, there's an artist in Brazil because you know Brazil has the link back to Nigeria because of the slavery um, journey, and you have those slaves that were taken from West Africa and the parts where it's the Yoruba land in Nigeria that they are in Brazil, and so they actually stole keep that story alive they keep those stories alive and there's a, an artist in brazil who is making comic book heroes out of these gods and goddess mythology from the yoruba pantheon and it's just amazing so for me it's like we need more of that we need 
because then you give little boys and girls of other backgrounds room to go, oh, okay, so they look like me, so I can be super like that. But how, how much we love those films at the moment in the in the cinema, those stories when they're being told of of these m- mythical figures, and, mm-hmm. and it is these without realizing it, we are absorbing these archetypes. And, and I'm wondering if you use if you use archetypes in your client work at all. Do you, do you use them for helping people to understand themselves? I use it to tap into the different guises in the way that we can show up as women. So when we I talk about the five basic ones, so there's the queen energy, there's the mother energy, and then within that there there are dynamics within that. There's the the damsel, which is where I call that where you break that down into the innocent the the, the, the victim and all of that. Then you have the the lover, which is essential be the empress. And there, you know, and there are a bit more to, to that, but where, excuse me, where the you start looking at the how we can show up and how we use these things. And because most of the time when we're talking about women and we're talking about, you know what, you're too mumsy to be in the workplace or you're too mumsy to succeed in business. And you're like, yeah, but when you think about it, the mother is the one the woman is the, who becomes a mother, takes the invisible, nurtures it, and produces a, another human being into the world. And she nurtures that human being from tiny, unincapable person to grown up. It's the same skills, but used differently that you need to nurture a business or your employees. So you can be a full-fledged leader with your mother energy. You just know how to use it. And you kind of have to kind of tweak it in a different way and mm-hmm. so when you're when you're in your mom zone you know who needs to be nurtured you know how to feed feed that business what it needs you so there are ways that we talk about it and the fact is I, I talk about how um one of the greatest businessmen the businessmen in the world Richard Branson taps into that female energy of collaboration of working with others of building a table of others and it's kind of nurturing other people's ideas to actually create something out of nothing because let's you know regardless of his slip-ups in the last few years but let's remember that he created something out of nothing without him knowing what he was creating yeah absolutely and um now I tie this in with um, I guess you, you studied a neurolinguistic programming. You may have come across uh, Grazian values before, uh, mm-hmm. and I've mentioned this before in a few calls with the spiral dynamics from Claire Graves, and that um, we have these different value le- values levels that we go through, kind of individually, but as a society as well, generally, and uh, um, where we are, where we see these shifting things happen, and the uh, the higher level values are more, uh, I guess you would classify them more as feminine energies, or more, uh, like you said, more collaborative, more mm. uh, interdependent, more nurturing, rather than the the lower values, which are more sort of rules based or fear based or aggression yeah. power based, which are more traditionally the masculine energies, and uh, that we are seeing lots of signs of these shifts into higher level values and certainly seeing it on in individuals much more and mm. whether we're seeing that play out too much in the global stage i think we're starting to we're starting to see some leadership that is representative of that and where we are seeing that i think is giving a really shining example but we're also seeing a, a lot of major resistance from the uh, from the 
values levels organized societies that are much much lower that are still mm. the aggression and power kind of level which is like level five values in gravesian values and uh, that we're making sort of huge shifts what what do you see uh, in your work on the ground level as being things that are changing or things that are particularly challenging right now I think right now with everything that's going on from COVID to the Black Lives Matter protests to everything going on is the fact that people are, are like pretty much at the, at the point that is no longer business as usual. We cannot continue as usual. The world cannot continue as usual. People, you know, one of the one of the basic lies that we've been sold that for you to be effective at work, you must be at work. Mm-hmm. Kobe's like, really? Let's 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 try and let's see if this is true. Kobe has tested that theory. Now you have corporations who are like, oh please, people don't bother coming back to 2021 at some date that we haven't outlined yet. Yeah. So that's the first lie that we must be in an office space. That's changed. The other lie, the, the other place that we are at is where people are like, they are not going to stand back while other people suffer. You're not going to stand back and say, it's no longer my problem because people are now getting that. It's, it may not affect you personally, but it, it impacts the world globally. So it may not affect you personally, but my job as a citizen of this world is to make sure that we have equity. So people are now, are now speaking up for what is important for them. What I've noticed in this me and people around me is that during this time is having time to reflect on what is actually important what do i actually need in my world what do i do i need all the stuff and the everything what can i do with less and it's 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 there's this dynamic change more and more with people becoming more aware to what their own needs are what they need and why they need it and also being able to to actually reflect and change I see as well people finding very positive ways to channel their righteous indignation, whereas mm-hmm. before they may have been just personally frustrated. And often I think people have ended up, and maybe even now to some degree, I'm sure it still happens, that people end up kind of giving up and thinking that mm-hmm. they can't change things and can't do anything about it. It's just how it is. Whereas we have so much more access to have a voice and to collaborate together and to unify. And sometimes it's just taken people to lead the way and uh, and just to start thinking, and saying, well, yeah, we, we have a voice. Other people are saying this. I'm not alone. It's not just me. Yeah. Uh, other people are unhappy with this too. Let's come together and let's let's make positive change in the world. And that that the anger that is completely justified from historic abuses, from continued abuses of power mm-hmm. um, is now being challenged uh, in healthy good ways and you know of course there there are definitely people who are coming into those groups trying to disrupt and cause problems but for the most part i think the changes that people are working towards are healthy and as you say developing more equity where we're going to have uh, uh, hopefully greater empathy for each other i think that's yeah. one of the one of the things that is often missing when you're going to when it's, it's been said in sort of societal studies where you get into societies that are more than uh, 50 people, certainly upwards of 500 people, that um, empathy starts to become something that gets a bit lost because it's, it's too big to yeah. be thinking in those sorts of terms. And yet 
we're all coming up now saying no we can't we can't lose that we have to find a way to to have Become more yeah to have empathy on a much grander scale and to not have this sort of uh, empathy fatigue that so many people have had uh, mm. trying to care and just being frustrated because it doesn't seem to make a difference. It's like now people are making a difference and, and saying we can have a better world. Yeah, and and I think that's very powerful. It's it's the change, even the generation after us, the millennials and Generation Z, they're, they're actually yeah the change is there you can see it happening you can see it coming through and you can see the fact that people are like it's not going to be business as usual which which i only see as a good thing and and i get that a lot of people are afraid but then people generally are afraid of change most people oh, yeah. don't particularly like it because it's the uncertainty of what's going to come next we don't know but if we work together in positive ways and try and support each other, even if we don't always completely agree on everything, you know, even if we have quite diverse opinions and backgrounds and whatever, if we can work together in positive ways that benefit everyone, that change is going to be positive. If mm-hmm. we're just kind of sitting back thinking, well, let's see how, how this plays out, but you know, don't fancy, don't fancy how it's going to work out myself. You, you are contributing towards things not going well, frankly. So it's like, if you're not contributing, you're actually, you are actually working. Part of the, yeah, you're part of the problem. Yeah. And this is what I say to people that go, oh, I don't like any other candidates, so I won't vote. I go, well, if you don't vote, you are actually given a vote to the other side so intend you know by default you are voting with your non-vote so yeah. you know there's no such thing as oh i'll just abstain you can't abstain it's, I think, it's still a decision you might I you think, might be choosing between the best of the worst but you still have to make your decision exactly and i think that's what's becoming more apparent is that people are, are now like i cannot abstain i cannot just stand by even if what you do only affects one person that's one person's life you've changed. Even if it's, you know, your neighborhood, with your family, how you deal with others, and then you change for one person, that one person might impact another 10 people. Those 10 people will impact, let's say, another 50 people. Those 50 people will go ahead and impact, let's say, another 500 people. And then we have critical mass at some point. So mm. your one action can lead to a critical mass of change. In my years of coaching experience, I think one of the things people nearly always underestimate underestimate about themselves is their ability to impact change and to make a difference. And uh, that's why I will very often encourage my clients to do some form of service and contribution, some form of giving back so they can actually see the difference that they're making and that they can positively impact other people's lives. Because I think, um, and, and you know, unless you are, a sociopath or a narcissist by <laughs> by design, then um, then you are going to get a lot of satisfaction from that, and you're going to find that particularly empowering. And when mm-hmm. you start to realise how much of a difference you positive difference you can make in people's lives, that you can enact change and can be um, you don't have to be an inspiration to people, but you just be the be the kind of person you would hope to be, be the kind of person mm-hmm. you want someone else to be. If you imagine the best version of yourself, I always say to people, if you can imagine the best version of yourself, that's who you really want to be. At your heart is who you really are and mm. who you're stopping yourself from being with other things. You're letting life or other people's opinions get in the way of that. And that's really crucial. And I think um, for me, when I look at change and I, people go, well, what can one person do? I'm like, well, a lot. And I, you know, when we start looking at the people that we hold in revere, they were one person. 
that stood up to make a difference. Okay. So, and and that's very powerful. Yeah. What What's the driving vision for you then in your work and business? In my work and business, the driving vision for me is creating powerful women. Women who are unafraid to take a seat at the table. Women who are becoming the highest versions of themselves. Who are actually changing the world that they live in for the better. And they're doing this and changing the lives of their loved ones. Change Because you change a woman's life, she changes her family's life. It, it, it has a ripple effect. But changing the work... The, the dynamics that women hold, especially around the conversation of power and where women are still struggling to find a seat at the table. It's like, well, screw that table that doesn't want you. Look for collaborative spaces over there. Or you know what? Bring your own chair. Hang out with another woman over there who has another chair. You guys have bring together other people. Create your own table over there and actually do what it is you want to do. Stop waiting for people to give you the permission to do it because you're not going to get it. Stop waiting for someone to say, yeah, we think you're worthy because, hey, you don't need them to tell you you're worthy. So do it. Yeah, That's, that's the vision of my work. Fantastic. Well, one of one of my private clients who I work with on the presentation side of things, um, she works in a very male-dominated industry, and she said one of the biggest challenges she's always had is trying to get these sort of old white men who are at the top of the power structure to listen to her and pay attention or take her seriously. So, well, why bother? Work with the people who are listening. Work with the people who are open to what you're doing. Soon enough, there'll be enough voices that those people will not be able to ignore you. Don't try and convert them. Let everyone else do that. Just do what you're doing to the people who will listen and the people who are open to what you're doing. And there are people change will come from from in the organization. It'll get to a point where it's like you can't ignore this any longer. Uh, th these are the changes we need to make. These are the shifts that we need to make in how we structure our organization and how we work as a company or whatever it is. But um, it will come from within, but work with the people who are open to it. Talk, yeah. to the, talk to the people who actually want to listen and who get it. And that is generally um, the people who are coming up through through those businesses and the people who have the ideas and have the inspiration and also have the will to challenge some of the uh, some of the old ideas or the old systems that uh, that really aren't working for us, and 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 that's true. And also, but also, this should not go unsaid because yes, the power the power structure are these old white men who have all the, seem to have all the power and are holding are being gatekeepers. But also, they're in 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 that camp. They're also the men who are also listening, who are being mentors, who are looking for the opportunity to mentor, not just mentor, but actually sponsor because. The thing that you mentioned about, you know, the, they're all white men and they're not listening to other voices, but they will listen to voice to a voice that sounds like them. So it's having the these men who are willing to walk in the room and talk on behalf of the others. You need the sponsors who can go into those rooms that you can't at the present who will talk for you. And that's crucial. That's yeah. crucial to have access to that. So, so yes, yeah, so we shouldn't forget about those people who are actually yeah. allies as well. So it's really important. Yeah, that's a, a really great thing to mention, a great point. And I want to ask you a little bit about, you, you mentioned that you're an author. So I want to ask you about your book, or do you have maybe you have more than one? Tell, tell me about your authoring experience. So I've been part of, so I was 
my first experience into being an author was actually um, I joined a book project where they got women from 32 women from across the globe and um, part of this book project called Success in High Heels. And so did that and that was really incredible. It was really an incredible thing where the, we were collectively sharing this one book and talking about the power of success from a feminine dynamic. And then the next project was my project where I curated another 27 people from across the globe. And we were looking at the relationship between failure and success. Right. And looking at how the lessons that we, we can take from our failures to actually make us better and to be more successful in life. And, and this was called um, success, um, no, this was called Born for This, the journey to success in life, love and business. And this whole idea of it was that our greatest failures in life will give us clues to our greatest successes, will help you know inform our greatest successes. And I cannot, we don't have enough time for me to point out all the great, the great successes the world has had from people's greatest failures. And, but it's almost like the world we're living where everything's an insta success and you must be successful and go viral overnight. People are almost being indoctrinated to be ashamed of their failing. And so you have people who are like, oh yeah, I'm successful, but nobody's talking about what to do when you fail. Nobody, people are like, failure? Oh no, no, we, we don't fail here. It's like, come on now, let's, let's be truthful. We, we have to fail to succeed. Yeah. So, and my thing is that, Failure isn't the antithesis to success. It's the precursor to success. Because if you don't fail, you're not trying. And if you're not trying, that means you're not doing taking risks or being creative or doing anything new. So you're stagnant. Yeah. I, my greatest line is for me right now is you can't fail if all you're doing is net flicking and chilling. You can't fail at that. You yeah. will only fail when you're doing something that requires growth, that requires you to try new things. Yeah, um, I, there's, there's so many uh, different and positive ways of reframing that, but it's, it's a great image. And I, I'll often talk about things like, no, no one would really expect to pick up a musical instrument for the first time and be able to play it. It's like, you have to keep failing at that before you get any good at it and failing over and over again. It's mm. the same with public speaking, it's the same with anything that you do. Um, you know, some people show natural talent and things great, but in experience, it's always the people who, who work hard and, and push on and that are going to overtake natural talent that often can rest on its laurels and say, I don't have to try hard. This is easy for mm. me. Um, that the people who don't have the natural talent will often surpass them. And um, this has been proven time and time again, but you have to be prepared to suck at it when you first start. And, uh, and, and often many times, and certainly if you ever saw my first speaking live speaking event, you would know that I sucked at it. <laughs> so, uh, I, and I picked myself back up and did it again. And I had a few, a few really sucky events until it got to being, all right, this is all right now. This is getting better. But you even as a, but, but and, and that's the thing, John, even after those moments, people are like, oh yeah, you should be fine. No, you will still have moments. You're, you're skilled, <laughs> exactly. you're, you're qualified, you're equipped, but you're like, oh my God. This is the worst webinar of humankind. What did I do? Why is it so bad? You will have those moments. Yeah, we so we need to get, you need to, we need to get real that we need our failures because it helps it helps us grow. And yeah, so and and so so yes, yeah, so that was one of them. But the, my last book is actually an ebook, which is called The Seven Habits That Rub Us of Our Power. And it looks at the seven habits that rub women of their power. 
and keep them spinning their wheels and why and the ways to break up with those habits. If anyone's watching and listening, can they get hold of a copy of that book? Yes. So the ebook on um, the seven habits of power is on my website, which you can get via my website. So it's www.lillian, L-I-L-L-I-A-N-O-G-B-O-G-O-H.com. Great. I'll make sure there's a link to the show notes. So if anyone sort of didn't catch it there, they can catch it in the show notes and there'll be a clickable link there for them as well. Awesome. And uh, any, are there any other ways that people can find out more about you or get in touch with you? I'm on social media, so you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, these are the, the places I normally hang out. And so all of those things, you will find me under my name, Liliana Bogo, and then you will find me under the show as well, which is Shine Out Loud Show. And you'll find me on Instagram and, twi- and Twitter as well. So we'll make sure there's links for all of that and pe- that people can come and check out your podcast as well because I'm sure there's awesome. plenty of people who want to hear more of you. And uh, it's been a real delight speaking to you. Now, I, I ask nearly all of my guests, in fact, hopefully all my guests, for uh, their book recommendation, a book that you think, well, if, I was, if someone says to me, what's a good book that I should read, what's the one that you would generally give them? Well, aside from my book, of course. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I've just finished The Emotion Code. And by Dr. Bradley Nelson. And the reason why I, re- re- I would recommend this book, it talks about the fact that we store emotion in our body, which can lead to off-balance. And whether good emotion or bad, people would kind of go, what? I'm like, well, you know when you say you're about to go on stage or you're about to do something that scares you, you get butterflies in the stomach that's an emotion that's fear or, or anxiety in the stomach or you get you you feel your tummy in knots so it's, it's talking about how these emotions can actually affect the life we live and it's also talking about how we can actually inherit emotions from other people around us it could be generational inheritance because there's a lot of talk now around in science around generational trauma and talks about how in our dna there is you're able to pick up trauma through the generation in DNA. So it's stored in our body and can lead to disease, dysfunction. It can actually lead to actually just this inability to find yourself because you have all these emotions and usually we're talking about the negative emotions running rampant in your body. And one of them could be when we talk about the negative self-talk, that's an emotion and it lives in our head. It lives in our head and it lives in our heart. And so it's talking about how to shift them, how to clear it, how to actually work your way through it so that you can actually start being that person you know you're here to be sounds good check it out again I'll, I'll mention it in the show notes and people can check it out if they like to take a read sounds good okay. so one thing to wrap things up then and just to get some closing thoughts for you what's something you would like to leave everyone with today so the one thing i'd like to leave everyone with today is you're not broken you're you don't you're not broken you're not alone and the fact that you may not be where you need to be right now in life doesn't mean that life is not going to turn around it means that there there's work that you need to do to become that next version of yourself to become that higher version of yourself so keep that vision really get clear on who this next version of you is and work towards that he or she very slowly so that you can actually take the steps to become in that person and no matter where you are, there's always something to look around to be proud of yourself for and be grateful to the life that you have right now. 
That's excellent. Some lovely thoughts to wrap things up. Lillian, it's been a real pleasure to connect with you and to chat with you today. It's really, really been really interesting. You shared some stuff that I didn't know, so I've learned some stuff today and hopefully That's our audience have as well. And uh, and certainly I want to look more into some of the other mythologies and archetypes that you talked about as well. Cool. It's fascinating. And uh, so it's been a real delight and I hope we'll stay connected in the future as well and uh, yes. maybe uh, maybe have you back again in the future to talk about some other things. Who knows? But, we'll be glad to but but certainly uh, i'm going to be encouraging people to to check out your episode and it's been a real pleasure i wish you a great rest of your day and success for everything that you've gone to do and uh, thank you thank you thank you so much bye thanks for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed the show remember to like and subscribe and if you're on apple Podcasts, leave us a review Whilst you're here, why not download a free copy of my new ebook, The Five Key Beliefs of Bulletproof Business Speakers, available from my website, presentinfluence.com. Next week, I will be speaking with business speaker and presenter and trainer, Jamie Martin. Jamie is a great guy, full of energy and great information. You won't want to miss that episode. Also, many more great guests lined up and coming through, so make sure you are subscribed. If you'd like to know more about me or presentation skills or the tools of influence and persuasion, get in touch. You can email me john at presentinfluence.com or find me. LinkedIn is a place where I hang out the most, so come and connect with me there or on any other social media. I look forward to seeing you there and connecting with you soon on another episode of Speaking of Influence. See you then.